This is The Way. I'm your host, Steve Lascalzo. Welcome to our episode-by-episode discussion of Star Wars Visions, an anthology of anime-styled animation available to Disney Plus subscribers. Today's podcast brings us two-thirds of the way through our episode-by-episode coverage of Season 1. All nine episodes are available, and they have been since the day of release. The stories don't connect or establish canon. Different artists, different studios, different directors from different cultures show us through their art how Star Wars inspires their work. It's Star Wars through a different lens. Maybe that's why they call it Visions. Yeah? Good. We've reached Episode 6 of Season 1, T.O.B. 1. There have been rumors that there will be a Season 2 coming, but no official announcement has been made by Lucasfilm or Disney yet. Now, there is May the 4th, which is coming up. That's a great opportunity to announce something. But also, Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim this year will be the 25th or 26th through the rest of that weekend, the 28th or 29th. So that would be another time where we might hear a lot of announcements about Star Wars projects. And Season 2 of Visions is rumored to be one of them. There were a lot of studios involved, I think seven studios involved in the first season with nine episodes, and one of those studios that had more than one episode is the producer of today's episode, the studio Science Saru. The writer for T.O.B. 1 is Yuchiro Kido. He wrote not just this story, but He wrote on Akakiri as well, which is another Science Saro entry, which we'll get to later in this season. He also worked at at least nine episodes of the Seven Deadly Sins TV series, which is something I haven't watched, but I have heard of. The director for T.O.B. 1 is Abel Gungora. He is a Spanish-born animator that loved anime so much, he made it a career, and he's one of the first five members of the studio. Now, this was not one of my top three episodes, but not because it wasn't good. It's certainly not my least favorite, and it's certainly charming. The stated runtime is a very slender 15 minutes, but when you watch from first action to the start of credits, it takes 12 minutes, 20 seconds or so. On the English voice cast side, Jaden Waldman is T.O.B. 1, and Jaden... For you parents out there, voices Peter in Pinkalicious and Peterific. Kyle Chandler is Mitaka, the professor. And I'm not sure how Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights was pulled in, but I did not recognize the voice. It was a surprise. And I was like, is that the same Kyle Chandler? And yep, it's the same Kyle Chandler. Neil Kaplan voices the Inquisitor, and he has voice roles in five of the Visions episodes and in dozens of and dozens of shows and video games. Michael Sinternicholas was the Stormtrooper, and he has voice roles in six of the Visions episodes this first season. He would probably also qualify as a legend. He's got more than 250 voice credits, and at least 50 credits as crew, and he's a producer, director, writer, and he's worked in casting and in music and sound. Uh, He's got quite the career. And by the way, 
his last name, Sinter Nicholas, is Dutch for Santa Claus. On the Japanese voice cast side, T.O.B. One was Masako Nozawa, a voice acting legend racking up more than 200 credits in anime. Mitaka was Sutomu Isobe, with more than 80 voicing credits to his name. Kentaro Ito was the Inquisitor, and Yuki Shin was the Stormtrooper, and can also be heard in the Village Pride episode of Visions and Akakiri. If you go to the Extras tab on the Star Wars Visions Disney Plus page, you'll find the Filmmaker Focus for the episode. I think I mention it every time, but if you've already seen the episode, go back and watch the making of for that episode. It's kind of what those Filmmaker Focus shorts really are, is a making of. It's going to take you less than five minutes to watch the one on T.O.B. 1. But the impression I got from watching the episode, and I think most people will if you watch, is the connection to a Disney classic. At its heart, it's a Pinocchio story. You know, there's a droid that wishes to be a real Jedi boy. That connection is probably what keeps it from being a more impressive story, because it's kind of copying it. But it's also what makes it more endearing. This totally has a unique style and a unique point of view with a sense of whimsy and wonder and fairy tale flair. There were two points the director made in the filmmaker focus I think stood out to me. The first is that he said he wanted the droid to dream. Now, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick is the inspiration for Blade Runner. Now, it wasn't that connection that I think Gungura was going for, but the Inquisitor is tracking down Jedi post-Order 66, sort of like Deckard chasing down replicants. Gungora says it was more about the connection to Luke. It's similar to Luke Skywalker dreaming about going out the planet, and then T.O.B. one also dreaming of going out of his planet. He goes on to mention the droids drawing and painting on the wall, which he says is something he thinks all children wish they could do but can't, and he says he wishes he could have done as a child. Parents know that some children do that anyway, but that kind of creativity is often associated with self-discovery, you know, painting what you dream. Well, let's get to talking about the episode. But first, a quick break. This is the way. All right, episode six, T.O.B. One. The episode opens with a bearded man looking into camera, and he's finishing work on who is T.O.B. One. It's a little boy-looking droid. Now, when I first saw the title, my first thought was that it w- it read to be one, as in it wants to be one. It wants to be a Jedi. I had a similar observation that no one ever seemed to agree with me on about Octu being act. Two of the sequel trilogy, like the island of Octu was Act Two of the three-part sequel trilogy. Well, to me, using words like that's fun. But officially, Master Mitaka or pro- the Professor calls him T O B One. Later, he will call him Toby. So both of those are actually correct. While Two B One will have to be just part of my head canon. Next up for repairs, though, is CO3, a small house robot that is drawing on the walls of a room. Whether it's his room, or TOB1's room, or none of their rooms, I think it says a lot that this Jedi 
has an attachment so strong to his robots that he gives them space of their own. So often in the Star Wars universe, droids are underappreciated and overlooked. They're not even really a class of being. Well, this is an area where Star Trek seems to be ahead of Star Wars, and if you have never watched an episode of The Next Generation, I would like to point out the episode The Measure of a Man, Season 2, Episode 9 of Star Trek TNG. To me, it's clear at this point that Mitaka values these robots beyond anyone else in the Star Wars universe proper, and to him, they're kind of like... Well, listen to how he describes them. Come along, my children. Let's get to work. They're not slaves, nor are they second class. Now we see a couple of scenes of Mitaka and T.O.B. one doing some work. They're there to help him, for sure. The Jedi tells the android and us he's working to bring life to the planet. T.O.B. one is impatient because he wants to go visit the rest of the galaxy. Now, where did that come from? Now, in a way, just as the planet is being worked on, so is T.O.B. 1 by Mitaka. It feels to me like there is a strong parallel between Mitaka bringing life to the planet and working on bringing life to his other creation or creations. And basically, T.O.B. 1 is like a robotic son. This is also something different from the established lore of Star Wars. Because while Luke and Leia are children of Anakin, that attachment is a rarity, not the norm. And they're, of course, passing on, or they had passed on to them, the Jedi, midichlorian, you know, the, their Jedi-ness was passed on to them from their father, not their mother. Now, we'll see later that T.O.B. one is able to complete Mitaka's experiments to bring life to the planet. Now, we're not offered a picture of whether that's something that's proper. Is it proper for him to bring life to this dead planet? You should consider some ethical considerations there, right? I don't. I think it's precisely because it's unimportant here compared to the work that's being done to bring sentience to TOB-1 that we're not really supposed to think of that. Mintaka points out the dangers of the galaxy, not the planet. But TOB-1 represents his wanderlust to the Jedi as a calling. Adventure, excitement. I am afraid that being a Jedi is not as glamorous as it is in your dreams. It's kind of hard for me to explain, but I feel like something is calling out to me. I keep having these dreams, and in them, I'm a great Jedi. Hmm. Mitaka's calling is giving life, and it seems like TOB1's calling is that journey, that exploration. But maybe that's just the self-exploration going on inside that's coming out. Mitaka gives him a quest, even. Mitaka knows that, well, he knows what we don't know yet, that, that the kyber crystal he says T.O.B. 1 needs to find is actually hidden in T.O.B. 1's own body. But T.O.B. 1 goes searching everywhere else first. Mitaka knows this search of his will be complete when he finally looks inward. Unfortunately, there is an unintended consequence to that search that Mataka is placing upon this android boy. TOB1 and CO3 eventually search the entire planet except for the place forbidden by their father slash master. This act of defiance could have been programmed out, right? 
but it wasn't. You've got a bad feeling about this? But this is the only place that I haven't searched yet. Okay, I'm just gonna take a peek. <gasps> a ship? The droids find a ship in the basement and they start playing in it. TOB1 unfortunately sends out a transmission and he's calling out to all Jedi, but it's picked up, we see, by a Star Destroyer. A stormtrooper relays the find to an Inquisitor. It seems that Mitaka most likely lost his arms going on the run after Order 66. Finally, though, because of this random transmission, he's found. TOB1 is ashamed, scared of deactivation, but Mitaka knows his end is near anyways. Instead of chastising or a tearful goodbye, Mitaka resigns himself to the will of the Force. CO3, I leave this child to you. I am one with the Force. The Force is with me. Professor Mitaka? I wonder if those lines were kind of a nod to the Asian actors in Rogue One. Well, Mataka hides his boy and gives him pieces of a lightsaber. And after a short time passes, it's revealed the Empire killed the Jedi. And he has been buried under a rock, or under a bunch of rocks. His home, his laboratory, his work, it's seemingly destroyed. Mitaka's final phase in bringing life to TOB-1 begins now. TOB-1 and the droids rebuild parts of the lab and complete his work. I'm gonna do it. I'll continue the research. I'll fulfill the professor's dream. After an unspecified amount of time, clouds form, rain falls, life appears on the rocks that Mitaka is buried under. Mitaka, through the Force, reveals the location of the kyber crystal. It's inside TOB-1. And TOB-1, I guess, puts the blade together and ignites it. The Professor's dream has finally come true. TOB-1, use the Force. The rejoicing of the robots on the planet is broken up by the approach of a TIE fighter. The Inquisitor approaches. It's revealed by the other droids, this is the killer of their master. TOB-1 tries to fight, but fights with the lightsaber, and the Inquisitor is fighting with his saber and the Force. I cannot allow you to become a threat! <laughs> TOB-1 is knocked back. But this turns out to be the moment he meets the Blue Fairy. Remember Pinocchio? Do not worry, you are prepared for this fight, Toby. My young Padawan. <laughs> you did well bringing life back to this planet. And you have proven that you have grown up. Here he gets his real boy name, Toby. In case you think I was being cute with a Blue Fairy comment, go and look at what color the Force Realm is drawn in here. His master, his father, tells him to rise as a Jedi. By the will of the Force, Toby, rise as a true Jedi, and may the Force be with you. 
Toby continues to fight, but still the Inquisitor has the upper hand. Toby's being hurled around with the Force, but as a droid, the impacts don't hold as much danger. It was also telling to me, though, that the Inquisitor fought Toby as he might have fought a human. Perhaps you might remember what Luke did to the Dark Trooper outside the bridge of Moff Gideon's starship. The Inquisitor doesn't try to do any of that. He's just fighting him straight up. Toby tells the droids to open up a valve and uses it to cause an explosion that doesn't kill the Inquisitor. It only seems to anger him. That's not what you want to do with a dark side user, right? So he force pulls Toby to him and then pins his arm to the earth with his saber. Toby pulls his arm out of his socket rather than leave himself vulnerable to another strike. The Inquisitor is surprised. How did this droid become a Jedi? Toby says he has a name, strikes a blow at the Inquisitor's armored head. The other droids then swarm the Inquisitor, and he destroys some of them, calling them useless junk. Well, that's not what you want to do to a droid that's just become a Jedi. Toby views these guys as friends. <laughs> See, I even call them guys. Maybe they're even brothers to him. He resumes the fight, even with only one arm. His master, after all, had none. Toby summons CO3, and ta-da! It's revealed the two can join together. It's kind of like a mech situation there, and it feels like a hero moment when they combine. CO3 functions sort of like a jetpack, and he launches with TOB1 or Toby toward the Inquisitor with a lot of vigor. We see colorful flashes of red and blue. And it's the blue in Toby's eyes that flash a familiar Jedi star, the very symbol of the Jedi Order. The Inquisitor falls for good. Toby does as well, but as his friends or brothers approach, he gives them an okay sign with his remaining hand. A short time later, Toby and CO3 board the Professor's ship. They're taking some of the plants and part of his lab on a journey to a new planet. His mission to find himself is complete, and now he continues his master's mission to bring life to other planets in the universe and fulfill his own dream of journeying off-world. All this stuff? We will continue our research and the professor's legacy of helping planets. Because that's what Jedi do. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. You know, I liked this episode a lot more when I went back into the notes and collected audio for it. I ended up including in this podcast a few of the things I found during that process. I still enjoyed the glimpse into the worlds of the Duel, the Ninth Jedi, and the Village Bride more, but I think the whimsical sound and art style was just a little bit too childish, and some of the story felt a little too abrupt for me. In the end, I'm not an anime fan first. I'm a fan of the story first. A Star Wars story, at, at least. And I think a good one transcends the medium. Here, I did feel like I was watching anime a little too much rather than watching Star Wars that just happened to be anime. It's still good. Some people, maybe even you, will enjoy that style. For me, it's all about Star Wars. This was entertaining. It was fun. It's just not my favorite way to tell a Star Wars story. I will definitely share this with my kids, though, and I think the short serves up a terrific, a classic tale even, 
through the lens of a galaxy far, far away. This is the way. Since my last Visions podcast, we've updated our links to use Linktree. You can find most of our links at linktr.ee forward slash this is the way pod. Our email link is there, this is the way podcast at gmail.com. Now, if you're interested in what Marvel Studios is doing with phase four of the MCU, you can check out our Linktree links for my other podcast at slash this is the way phase four. I produce both podcasts, and as of this recording, we're in the middle of our Moon Knight coverage in April 2022 of This Is The Way Phase 4 podcast. The next episode of Star Wars Visions on Disney Plus is available already for you. It's called The Elder, and it will be the focus of our next Visions podcast. Until then, I'm your host, Steve Lascalzo, and this is the way. May the Force be with you, always. Always.